blankets in the living room or the family room, wherever I could find them. As long as there was a couch and some chairs, I would take some blankets, set up the chairs all around, put the blankets over the chairs, and make myself a good old-fashioned fort. Amen. Don't y'all know that's one of the best indoor games that you can play with, uh, with young folks? Is the, is the build a fort, amen? I remember that blizzard of, of, of 96. Y'all remember that? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, 36 inches of snow. Amen. We even carved out and made it like a little igloo type thing. And uh, I don't know what we were doing. But we, we, we sat down in that thing. We, we got some snacks. We were eating in there. And it was only about 30 minutes. <laughs> Otherwise, we would have th- uh, frozen our butts off. But forts are amazing things. You know about forts. Uh, you may have seen pictures of uh, impenetrable fortresses from the Renaissance, World War II uh, bunkers, medieval castles. These are types of fortresses, strongholds, refuges. They are strategically positioned fortifications intended to be a safe place to reside from attacks, primarily because they are inaccessible. You've read about them in school, seen them on the news. Refuges, strongholds, fortresses are known because they are strong. You don't know about weak fortresses (laughs) Uh, because over time they must have been thrown over, must have been destroyed, must have been laid waste. But you know about fortresses because they are strong and they Remain. Some of you, unfortunately, have had the run-ins with the wrong strongholds, the wrong types of refuges, the wrong types of fortresses. You see, the enemy may have just built up a fortress in your life. Uh, They may have built up a stronghold in your life and built up fortified walls around your addictions, fortified walls around your failures, your mistakes, your low self-esteem. In fact, you've gone through hell trying to crush the enemy's grip on your life. But the opposite of these evil enemy strongholds are Christian strongholds, a Christian refuge, a Christian fortress. The inner relationship with the God of the universe is an encounter with the refuge of God that in spite of how powerful the grip of the enemy may be, a church and the people of God. In fact, inside the house of God, you can experience the power of God to tear down the strongholds of the enemy to tear down the places in which the enemy has made refuge in your life. Strength. That's what we're talking about here. Because a refuge isn't helpful if it's not strong. Strength deals not only with sheer might and and power, but it also deals with capability. As well, it is the ability to exert or to withstand great 
force. And, and our text today challenges us. It, it, it confronts us with a couple pressing and essential questions with regards to our spiritual growth and maturity. Do you have, firstly, do you have a strong faith? Not asking whether or not your, your spiritual life is a strongly tuned machine. I'm not asking whether or not you've crossed all your T's and, and dotted all your I's. I'm asking, is the power and the strength of God evidence in your life? Does your life make God's enabling and liberating power tangible, palpable, visible to the people to whom you are meant to impact? Another question this text uh, arises for us is, is your faith and spirituality upheld by the strength of your humanity or by the power of God's divinity? I would suggest to you this morning that as strong as you think you may be, that you can be stronger, as strong or as weak your faith in God may be, that you can encounter the strength of God if you know that God is your refuge. So there are, are, are three moods, three attitudes about the strength of God that I believe this text acts for us to consider. So uh, namely, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 59, you ought to expect to see the strength of God. Look at your neighbor, tell them, you, you ought to expect to see the strength of God. Verse 1 says, deliver me from my enemies, my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who practice sin and save me from my bloodshed. Now, now, who is this writer? This writer is, is David. And, and as we know, at some point, while another person is king, King Saul, uh, uh, is, is, is actually the king in Israel, we know David gets anointed to be king. Okay, and, and, and it's interesting that don't you know, sometimes God has told you or has put you in a, a, a predicament of a situation. That he has named uh, someone or, or, or told you to do something that someone else is doing. And now enemies are rising up against David. In fact, in this sequence, Saul has sent assassins after David. He has sent literally people to kill David. He despises David. And the attackers have surrounded his home. Destruction seems certain. David is not secure in the security of his home. Have you ever been in a situation where a positive outcome looks impossible? That you are so consumed, that you are overrun by worry, that you cannot envision the possibility of a positive outcome. Lord, how can things get better from here? Lord, this, this is messed up forever. There's nothing that you can do about this. 
Well, I urge you to consider that, that David learns very early that an anointing does not absolve you from attack. In, in fact, uh, 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 he realizes that the only thing that can help him in accomplishing the thing that, uh, that God has anointed him for is, in fact, God. That God is the only resource that's going to be able to see him through to reach the expected end for which God has, has placed a call on his life. Just because you've been called doesn't mean things are going to go perfectly for you. Just because you've been called doesn't mean everything's going to be peaches and cream. Just because you've been called very well may invite attack on your life. Because it's in the attack that you can lean in to trust on God. It's in the elements of the attack that through suffering and through crushing and through pressing that you can look not only inward at your own strength, but you look deeply inward into the strength of the God who has resided and taken up residence in you. So David puts his trust in the power of the Lord to deliver him. He doesn't depend on the strength and fortification of his position. I already mentioned David is in his home. In fact, uh, David at this time is married to Saul's daughter. And uh, often what we feel gifted in, often what we feel familiar with, Often what we feel comforted by, are sometimes those are the areas in which we will sense and experience the deepest disappointments. Uh, I'm sure there, there are a lot of people who've had big dreams in here. And sometimes when you have big dreams, you also have big disappointments. Ask anybody who's made it. It's not clear coasting to the realization of any kind of dream, but on your way to that expected end, you will experience disappointment, attack, and failure. David in his home. Can you imagine not feeling secure in your deepest place of familiarity and intimacy? Have you been there? The relationships you thought were your most trusted relationships. Your job that you felt was secure. Yet, like that, it can become not a place of refuge, but a place of devastation and disaster. Anticipating, expecting God to show off his strength is evidence that you have begun to understand his strength. 
If you are still relying on man as the primary source for the power and effectiveness of your ministry, for the power and effectiveness of your marriage, if you are still dependent upon men to shield you from the daggers, from the darts that the enemy will throw at you as you walk in your journey, my challenge to you today is simply this, to to cease simply crying out to men, but cry out to the God Almighty who's in charge of men. Stop simply crying out to men and women about the challenges in your family, about the challenges in your community. Cry out to the one who can do something about it. The God who's made heaven and earth. Cry out to Yahweh, the self-existent one. Cry out to Adonai, the, the sovereign and majestic one. Cry out to Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides. Cry out to Jehovah Rapha, the one who heals. Cry out to Jehovah Nisa, God, our banner. Cry out to Ashadai, God Almighty. Cry out to El Elyon, Most High. Cry out to Elroi, the God who sees. Cry out not to men, but cry out to God. Because presidents, pastors, pulpits, pulpits, and platforms are not saviors. We'll look to the people above us. We'll look to the tools and resources at our disposal, thinking that those things can save us, comfort us, be there for us. But guess what? There are some places that only one person can be, and that's God. That in the intimacy of your own heart, that when there is no person that you can be deeply honest with, the first person you can go to is the Lord. David says, deliver me from those who practice sin. Save me from men of bloodshed. David expects God to show up. He says in verse 3, Lord, look, they set an ambush for me. Powerful men attack me, but not because of any sin or rebellion of mine, for no fault of mine. They run and they take up position. You see, sometimes God will make it clear to us that we will only more fully understand the strength of God when we can admit our vulnerability to attack. You see, David here is saying, God, I'm going to be honest with you as much as I've tried to put myself in a position in which I am safe and secure. I am not safe and secure without you. Can we admit that we have vulnerabilities to attack? But, but this is the practical thing. We have to think about and be honest about what those vulnerabilities are. So some of us, it's the click of a button. Some of us, it's, it's our pursuit of a job and our pursuit of money. For some of us, it's living vicariously through our children. There are all different types of ways in which we are vulnerable to the attack of an enemy, but we will not receive reprieve. We will not receive the strength that God is trying to give us unless we have been vulnerable, unless we have been honest about our vulnerabilities. David is forecasting what his brother in the faith, Paul, would write centuries later. He's, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, that is why, for Christ's sake, 
I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that's a bit countercultural, isn't it? Doesn't, doesn't the culture say you need strength in order to be strong? Doesn't culture provi- uh, uh, promote the idea that the only way in which you can truly rise above everybody else is to have more money or have more status or have more clothes? More, more, more capitalism. That's what it tells us that we need more and more and more in order to overcome. But David says, Paul, Paul and David, they're clued into this special secret that overcoming is not rooted in how much you accumulate. Overcoming is rooted in how much you give over to the Lord. Are you an overcomer? Will you boast in your weakness? Have a radical honesty about where you are, what's troubling you, instead of putting up a face, a mask, a facade. Mm -hmm. So David responds in verse 9 to these thoughts he's having. He says, I will keep watch for you, my strength, because God is my refuge. This is what he's landed on. I will keep Watch for you. It's the, it's the sense of a guard being on duty and anticipating, being ready for the arrival of either a friend or foe. See, sometimes the, the, the presence and power of God does not show up in our lives because we're not alert and watching. Are you alert waiting on the strength of God to show up? Some of us quit waiting on God. And we justified going into other areas of our lives without seeking the Lord. We pursued a job without seeking the Lord. We pursued uh, uh, other things without seeking God. And God allowed us to say, go ahead, see where that gets you. And where we land at is, Lord, it would have been better with you. Lord, it would have been better with you on my side that, Lord, Lord, I'll take you with nothing than everything without you. Lord, I'll give it up all for you because with you, I have everything. Are we alert? Are we watching? He says, my faithful God in verse 10 will come to meet me. God will let me look down on my adversaries yeah. <laughs> uh, it's uh, th- this verse communicates uh, an idea that in God meeting you he, he he shows up in a fashion in which you can expect him to take you to your expected end yeah. uh, in other words God's going to give you at least a foretaste to see that the vision that he gave you he's going to allow you to experience something uh, David is, is prophesying that, uh, that, that my faithful God, and he will let me look down on my adversary. He's saying, I'm an overcomer, if, if not simply in mind and action. But God, I'm not going to be the one who's going to do it. God, you're going to be the one who's going to do it. God will let me look down on my adversaries. 
that God, by the presence of his might, will extend to you his ability to attain the work ahead of you. But not only should you ought to expect to see the strength of God, turn to your neighbor and say, you ought to encounter the strength of God. You see, you see, the, 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 the enemy is uh, not somebody who, who gives up easily. The, the enemy is not somebody who, who, who will just run away on account of you, you showing them what you got in your pocket. Amen. Uh, 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 but the enemy is persistence. Uh, David gets to this idea in verse 6. He says, they return at evening snarling like dogs and prowling around the city. Do you know enemies that snarl and prowl around your life. Uh, You just can't get them away. They're like the raccoons, the cats that just keep coming back to the trash cans. Amen. We cannot escape the strength of the enemy. You are not going to escape being attacked by the enemy. We have a persistent enemy, but we have an even more steadfast God. You see, your thoughts will continue to attack you. Your, your, your thoughts, you, you, you think you might have low self-esteem. Self-esteem, lo, low self-esteem just may never leave you. That may be something you have to deal with for the rest of your life. There may be things that God has trusted you with to say, okay, I'm not taking this from you, but I've given it to you because if you search me inside of that, you will see that I am stronger than any negative thought that you could ever think, that I am wiser than anything negative that you could think about yourself, but I have set up myself alongside of you to help you to overcome. I am your refuge. I am your strength. That our enemy may be persistent, but we have a steadfast God. So not only do you need to understand that the enemy is persistent, the enemy is also violent. See, in verse 7, he says, look, they, they spew from their mouths sharp words from their lips for who they say will hear. In, in a way, mocking the Lord. He emphasizes that his attackers are indeed powerful, but look at this mode of attack he's talking about, the mouth. Oh, my, my, my. Don't you know sometimes what people say hurts more than a fist to the mouth? That people can use words as daggers and spears Sometimes unintentionally even, but sometimes the word of a parent or of a child or of a cousin or of a co-worker or of, or of an employer or a supervisor, sometimes those words can sink so deep that it hurts more than any type of physical pain. But when those words are hurled at you, you have to repeat back God's words about you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You have to think about that God thought about you in breaking heaven and earth, descending to heaven, dying on a cross, rising three days later. He did that for you. So even when the violence of the enemy persists, realize that there is a God who will turn up violence against that same enemy. Our God. Hallelujah.
Psalm 62 and 11 says, God has spoken once. Twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. Have you heard that verse before? You know, they're, they're, they're saying it once. He says, God has spoken twice. Twice have I heard it. Uh, the one time is to draw your attention to the fact that he's powerful. The second time is to draw your attention to the fact that his power, that his power has no limits. <laughs> you see, you see uh, as with any encounter in life, there's a difference between how you expect something to happen and your experience of it. Yeah, uh, there's a difference between the theory of something and the practice of it. Uh, we know Allen Iverson in his famous press conference would say, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, practice. But there's something in that that, that, that we can prepare all we'd like to for what's going to hit us from life. But, but there's one thing that's for sure. When life does hit you, and it's no longer practice that we're talking about, and it's a game. You once heard God, power belongs to God. But now in that season, will you hear it twice? That power belongs to God. So, so, so walking up into the season of life, in which you're going to experience a storm. You have the head knowledge. Everything is gravy. You know that power, that God is strong. But then when you're in the midst of your storm, have you heard it again? That power belongs to God. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's, it's having a strong belief in who the Lord is, but confidence in what he can do. David knows all this. So he says about his enemies, Lord, do not kill them. Otherwise, my people will forget. By your power, make them homeless wanderers and bring them down, Lord, our shield. Wow. David says, Lord, help me to overcome them, but don't kill them lest we forget. Sometimes God allows the vestiges, the remains of your enemies to linger and wander around. Because if he completely removed them, you might begin to imagine that you overcame by your own strength and your own power. Sometimes, sometimes God will allow little trickles and little things to seep back into your mind so that you can reflect that when you got through that time, it wasn't you that did it, but it was God who, who came in you, that set you apart, that empowered you, that uplifted you, that it was by the power and strength of the Lord Most High that you made it. Through Lord, don't kill them, but, but let me continue to look over the vestiges of my enemies so that I can remember that it was you. Amen. Wasn't me. It was you, God. So not only should you expect to 
see the strength of God. Not only should you expect to encounter the strength of God, you lastly ought to explore the strength of God. Everybody say explore. Explore. Hallelujah. You see, the stronghold of God is not necessarily a place or thing. You see, a stronghold, a refuge, a fortress, all these, all these words are the translation of the Hebrew word. It, it, it more so has to deal with one's perspective, one's perception of God's ability to shield me. But not only to shield me, but also to equip me. Uh, uh, fortresses were not only places where you found safety, but inside the fortresses were also things, equipment that you found to, uh, to, to get resupplied to go back out and continue the mission. Uh, the, the, uh, fortress isn't necessarily the place that you stay, but it is the place where you come to get refreshment. It is the place where you come to get resources. See, David's attackers thought because of the strength of their offensive strategy, because they had surrounded him, that they were certain to kill David. But it's not up to the strategy of men. It's always about the power of the Lord. Uh, That the dynamic of the strength of God is, is, is multifaceted in that God's strength doesn't just apply to your spiritual condition. A lot of people think that because they have it on you strategically in a certain way that they got you. But, but, but it's not just about a strategic condition. It's also about your spiritual condition. It's also about your physical condition. It's also about your emotional well-being. And God's strength can, uh, can affect and infect you in every area of your life, empowering you to, uh, to, to overcome and to, and to be better in any and all situations. Amen. That's why it says God laughs. In verse 8, it says, but you laugh at them, Lord. You ridicule the nations. Uh, God laughs because the opposition and even we sometimes, we can think that our behaviors, our relationships, our situations are outside of God's purview, that God only deals with the spiritual. But God isn't just dealing with the spiritual. If that's all we think about, that he's not an all-encompassing God. God doesn't just deal with our spiritual health, but he is active in every single area of our life. He can work it out. He can work it out. Man makes plans. That's where we get that saying, man makes plans and God laughs. Because man, when we think, we think in limiting terms, but God is limitless. The source of God's strength. Is his hesed. You may have heard that word before. Hesed is probably one of the most important concepts in all of scripture. It is God's mercy. God's unfailing love. His steadfast love. His loving kindness. His faithfulness. See the whole of human history. Is pointing backwards and forwards. To a God and his undying love for his people. See, David makes a case in Psalm 59 that he is worthy of defense, that he's worthy of salvation, that he's worthy of protection because he's just committed no faults. Look, Lord, 
They set an ambush for me. Powerful men attack me, but not because of any sin or rebellion of mine. For no fault of mine, they, they run and take up position. He says in verse 9, I will keep for you my strength because God is my stronghold. So David says, Lord, because I've committed no sin or rebellion, Lord, I know you will help me. But what do we know about David's life? We know David was not a perfectly righteous man, a man after God's own heart, yes. But David was a murderer. David was an adulterer. And because of his abuse of power, today we would actually call David a rapist. David, like you and me, needed strength. Because against enemies such as our flesh, the evil one, sin, death, we in and of ourselves, we are powerless to overcome. So that's why he says in verse 16, I will sing of your strength. I will joyfully proclaim your, lo- your faithful love in the morning. For you have been a stronghold for me, a refuge in my day of trouble. To you, my strength, I sing praises because God is my stronghold, my faithful God. Faithful God. There's good news this morning. That strength, the type of strength that David was after, not just for an episode, But David's psalm points to a strength that will last throughout all eternity. That that, that strength came along, and it wasn't just to deliver David, but there was a strength that was coming along that that would deliver us all. And that strength was not necessarily or simply a once. But the strength became a who. Uh, uh, This strength, unlike David, he was perfectly righteous. Uh, uh, This strength had every right to be delivered from his enemies. He had every right to be delivered from his foes, but he did not seek deliverance. You see, it was man's need for this strength to overcome the power of death and sin that nailed strength to an old rugged cross. Uh, Isaiah 63 and 1 talks about this coming strength like this. It says, Who is this coming out of Edom in crimson stained garments from Basra? This one who is splendid in his apparel, rising up proudly in his great might. It is I proclaiming vindication, mighty or powerful to save. Uh, Who do you know that, that rises up? Stained with crimson, stained with blood-stained garments, and has the power to vindicate. I, I think you can help me say his name. Anybody know his name in here? It's it's Jesus. Uh, that, 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 that you and I, that, that we have been trying in our lives perhaps to build all different types of refuges. We've been trying to build up all different types of strongholds. We battle with it on a daily basis. But but we will try to make uh, refuges out of mortar and out of clay that we will try to build up things with steel and things that won't break. But there was a fortress that was built over 2,000 years ago. 
that fortress was not made with human hands, but it was comprised of an old wooden cross. And, and they didn't use uh, uh, cement or mortar to, to, to build, to, to put the blocks together. No, no, no. They used nails and they used blood. And don't you know that that blood was so strong? It was the strongest force to ever come into this world that while refuges may have stayed around for thousands of years after we were built, after they were built, this fortress will last for all eternity. That God built a fortress with the blood of Jesus Christ. And inside that fortress, you can find strength. And inside that fortress, you can find peace. And inside that fortress, you can find hope that whatever it is that you need to find to get you from day to day, God has put it inside of his refuge. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. God has become our refuge through Jesus. Amen. You can go and find the strength of God inside the refuge of God. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we love you. We're so grateful, Lord, that you've been with us this morning. I pray, God, that as we depart from this place, Lord, I pray, God, that as we sat here and listened, that you pierced our hearts with an idea of what must I do to lean further in to your refuge, O oh God. Lean further into your strength. Inside of your refuge are resources from day to day. Inside of your refuge, O oh God, there is strength for tomorrow. We might not feel like it today, O oh God. We may have been stuck, O oh God. But Lord, when we seek you, you can help us, O oh God. You can set it anew. Refresh us, O oh God. You will do it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, brothers and sisters.